For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Eighteen teams did not make the NFL playoffs. Eighteen teams are seated at home, just like me and you. Uh, Hayden Winks, today we'll call them the NFL's worst teams. That's fair. You know, there's a slight They deserve it. (laughs) But many of them do deserve it this season. Uh, We're going to go through what we learned from these 18 teams from the 2022 calendar year and then look ahead to now, 2023, and what they have to do to hopefully, you know, change the ways, change the direction of where these teams are going at the moment. It's like uh, if you watch those comedy roasts where they roast them for a while, then like the last minute, they're like, oh, let's be nice about it. So we're going to roast them for a bit and then we're going to figure out, is it fixable? And so on and so forth. But sometimes in those roasts, you know, they're roundabout compliments in certain ways and they do compliment certain aspects of the people. We'll do that for most of these teams. A few of them 365 days ago were in very, very different positions and we're not expected to be in this spot so these are interesting conversations again 18 we're going to keep it to an hour that is our goal here today we're going to go in draft order so hayden that means we kick it off with the number one overall pick and the chicago bears again all these conversations what did we learn well we learned that justin fields is the best athlete on the field whenever he touches it you know the team really tanked defensively at the first couple weeks of this season trading away you know players they weren't going to give a contract to $20 million in Roquan Smith every single year. You know, Robert Quinn, who was just a declining veteran. But despite all of that, and despite having this young quarterback, what we learned was this was almost an impossible situation for Justin Fields to thrive in, yet he gave us some awesome moments. In fact, like Byron Pringle was literally the wide receiver they brought in last offseason to try to elevate this team. And even with that, this team didn't really understand what they had in Justin Fields or how to cater an offense around him until they had, you know, that mini bye week and start implementing some of these designed rushing packages. So to me, at least, we've found out a little bit more of Justin Fields and who he is as a player. And it's not just us watching him. It's that organization has as well. Yeah, to me, it's we've learned that Justin Fields could be a special rusher yes. like Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson level rusher, uh, and that they have a whole bunch of, of capital, both in cap space and now with the first overall pick to surround Justin Fields, we think. Uh, the problem is, is defense, they have some pieces in the secondary, young pieces, uh, but up front, they have basically nothing, and their offensive line has been bad, and their skill group. I think is still very bad. I think Darnell Moody and Chase Claypool are like number two, number three receivers. Uh, Cole Komet, I think, is a NFL starter, but not a difference maker. And unfortunately, that that pick that they traded for Chase Claypool is now a first overall pick, uh, which is not my favorite use of that. But the, the the front office has to make a big boy decision. Do they like Justin Fields more than Bryce Young? What are the trade packages between those two as well? That leads me into the other part of this. And you mentioned the Chase Claypool trade. It's now the 32nd overall pick. That will be a second rounder, so no fifth-year option attached to it. And just quickly, they did find a couple young offensive linemen. You know, Braxton Jones, who's a rookie fifth-round pick, can play. Tevin Jenkins really found a home at offensive guard where it kind of felt like his career trajectory was headed off the rails. So that's good two young pieces they have along the offensive line. But, you know, you outlined it. What they have to do now is build a team. Like if you add together the $100 million in cap space, which they started working towards last offseason when they didn't bring anyone in, plus the number one overall draft pick and the draft capital associated potentially with that, this is going to be the largest investment of resources in NFL draft history. They have 30 free agents on their roster right now. The big question, okay, they don't pick again from one to 56 to 65, then 103 and 134. That's really not from a pure numbers count of early round draft capital. A lot of investment they can input into this team. 
when you think of just how bad the roster is and they're in this crossroads moment, Hayden, and let's have this conversation because it's going to run through the airwaves on Twitter for the next few months. I love Justin Fields. He is a developing thrower, right? They trusted him in the red zone more and more this season, but just point blank period. Where do you think this is going to go? Are they going to, should they trade the number one overall pick and acquire those resources and shorten the gap again to 56 and 65? Or do they take the quarterback that maybe they believe in more with a higher draft evaluation and then trade Justin Fields, who is less of a mystery box as of this moment? So I think fantasy people like Justin Fields more than the NFL did. The NFL draft Justin Fields was in kind of tells us that. I'm not sure you would get a whole lot from Justin Fields, maybe like a mid-first round pick or something like that. To me, like you said, the roster is so depleted that to me, why throw Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud into this mix? You are multiple years away still with this. So I would be trading that pick, like you said, the from first pick down to late second. That's a pretty big difference. I, my number one goal for the Chicago Bears, get a team to send you their next year's draft pick. You basically free roll Justin Fields this year. You get him some more talent around him. You get another year of development. We see year three breakouts all the time. And if Justin Fields doesn't develop as a quarterback and they're still bottom three in all these passing metrics, and this is a passing league, even if you are Justin Fields, then you will be picking really high again. Or the team that you're trading for that had CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, rookie quarterbacks sometimes don't do very well. And I would want as many fire or bullets to potentially have a top five pick the following season. So if they can get in a 2024 first rounder, get Caleb Williams or uh, the kid from North uh, Carolina, that to me would be the win. There's a few ways of looking at it. And I think no matter what, you are rarely in a position to select the top quarterback evaluation on your board. And they are in it. You know, they just also so happen to have a quote unquote special talent that we've talked about this season. Now, as much as I can call some special skills that Justin Fields has, I will readily admit he's not a perfect player. You know, he still has a lot of improvement to go. But I think the core of this is just what is your quarterback evaluation? And if you think Bryce Young is better than Justin Fields, if you think uh, CJ Stroud is better, if you think Will Levis is better, then to me, the easy answer is to take those guys. Now, I can't sit here and say that's Ryan Pace. I can't sit here and say that's anyone else in the Bears organization. I can't say that that's myself because that truly is a mystery box, right? But I've seen a lot of just, it doesn't necessarily matter about that quarterback evaluation. And this is going to reset the quarterback contract window or like let them battle it out. And, you know, quarterbacks retain their value when they're traded, even if they're moved on from, I don't really buy any of that. Like to me, again, the root of the discussion starts and ends with if you think young Stroud Levis are better than fields if they are you take them if not which I think is the more likely outcome you stick with Justin Fields and start actually building a team and start building a team around the strengths of Justin Fields I think the evaluations definitely matter I also do think the price point of what somebody's going to offer for that first round pick also has got to be part of this discussion and they're going to offer more for that number one overall selection than they are for Justin Fields going back to the original point that you made I feel like from this entire point, the media, draft Twitter, fantasy analysts, whoever have liked Justin Fields more than the NFL has. They allowed him to drop for a reason. And so often when players are on their rookie contracts, teams go back to those pre-draft evaluations than they do about applying what they've shown on the field so far. And we like him for fantasy, but I think a lot of GMs will look at this Justin Fields last season and be like, they couldn't pass the ball at all. He's taking absurd outlier level amount of sacks here. Yes. So yeah, I think to me, it's just, you're not winning this next year. Free roll it and see if you can get one of these teams like the Panthers, the Colts, or somebody to trade up the Titans. And if their trade up rookie quarterback does not do well, all of a sudden you can be running into a situation like the lions have, or the Seahawks have where you have really high draft capital because the team that made an aggressive move has immediately backfired. And we see this with rookie quarterbacks all the time. I quickly also want to add that I think Matt Nagy during Justin Fields' rookie year was almost urban level Meyer bad in terms of like orchestrating that offense. And then again, it took them a handful of weeks to change anything. And once they did, we started seeing some really positive signs. And again, this is with a shit situation around him. And it almost certainly is going to be better heading into next year. Yeah, they tanked this year. They did. Pick number two, Houston Texans. 
so we're back where they were last offseason. No franchise quarterback, no head coach. And I think the head coach part is kind of infuriating because Levy Smith, it was not like a great roster by any means. But there were some things that they did well. They were number two in special teams DVOA. I think that means something. Uh, they were 19th in EPA allowed on defense, which was, I think, to me, playing above their level. But none of that stuff really matters if you don't have the quarterback. And they were dead last uh, in EPA on offense. So obviously, Davis Mills didn't work out. That was kind of an odd decision that they had there. I think some of the things that we learned from them is we do not have really any answers at wide receiver. Brandon Cooks is immediately back in trade speculation. He doesn't want to be playing for a rebuilding team. Uh, John Mechie, we got some positive news that his uh, treatment has been working, that they expect him to be back uh, for this offseason. But you're going into this with just basically one star on the offense, and that's Larry Mutunsel, who they're going to be paying at an elite level. Very soon he wants to reset the tackle market. But beyond that, they really don't have anything. So this, to me, is a multi-year rebuild. There's no Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, you name it. Uh, there would have to be Justin Herbert level good as rookies for them to even be competing in an AFC South. So to me, we didn't even learn all that much from this year. It was mostly a wasted year completely. I think what we did learn is Laramie Tunzel is still arguably the best left tackle in the league. I mean, you have Andrew Thomas up there, you have Trent Williams up there and it's Laramie Tunzel. However, our contract is probably in order. And the reason why he wanted out of Miami and over Houston, one reason was, to win with yeah. Sean Watson. And now you aren't in a winning situation at all. You also, I think, have one of the more underrated right tackles in the league in Titus Howard. And then hopefully it was a rough rookie year, but Kenyon Green, who was another their second first-round pick last year, hopefully he takes a step in year two. So if all three of those pieces stick around, you have three building blocks along the offensive line for your young quarterback. Yeah, I think Nico Collins kind of proved that he can be like a number two, maybe number three receiver downfield threat. And I think Damian Pierce, we liked him. He runs hard oh, yeah. at times. But ultimately, if you look back the entire course of the season, the Texans were dead last in success rate on their short yardage carries and 30th in EPA per carry. So he was good for fantasy. I'm not sure if he's like some dynamic player in their eyes. So to me, it's going to be a rookie quarterback coming into here and he's going to be coming into a mess. And I do not trust this ownership group at all. Uh, and I'm not sure what kind of head coach they're even going to be able to get because I thought they treated Levy Smith uh, pretty unfairly. And I just one of my favorite points of the season for the Texans by far was a fourth and 20 conversion followed up for, for a touchdown, followed up by a two point conversion to screw the McNairs out of that first overall pick. That was quite uh, the send off for uh, Coach Levy. Did you go through what you want to see from them? Um, I mean, you just got to hit the jackpot at, at the quarterback. Uh, yeah. So I haven't watched Bryce or CJ Stroud aside from just TV broadcast, but they got to get that right. Um, and if they have to move up for that number one pick because the Chicago Bears leapfrogged them, that would be pretty hilarious to me. Yeah, we've seen some short trades like that from, I think, two to three with the Bears and the 49ers with, I think it was Mitch and Solomon Thomas, so on and so forth. So those things do happen. Um, but no matter what, you have one quarterback that you fall in love with and like all the conversations throughout the next couple months in that building are like, we like this guy the most, so on and so forth. So it's not like they're going to settle for their number two. They got to get the culture right because they're not going to oh, be yeah. able to get free agents to well, come he, play Even their like postseason presser with Nick Casario being like, I'm up here right now. Yeah. But like if the new head coach comes in and like, who knows what he might want, so on and so forth. It's, it's a, uh, they're devoid of talent. And it's nobody. hilarious when you consider over the last couple years when they do a free agent wrap up tweet and it's just like 30 end of roster talents that are on there signing one year deals. It shows. Yeah. It's because they can't get anybody big. Nobody wants to go play for uh, this ownership. Arizona Cardinals have the third pick. We learned that it feels like the awful season was all foreshadowed during last year's NFL combine. You remember Kyler's statement via his agent being like, Hey man, I, I want a new contract. Or I want to play somewhere else. He scrubbed the Cardinals from his entire social media account. That same agent is Cliff Kingsbury's agent who then got him a contract extension and then got Steve Kime a contract extension, then got Kyler Murray a contract extension. They trade for Hollywood Brown, Kyler's old teammate, in order to make Kyler probably feel more positively about the situation. And then it all fell apart. It all fell apart. And this was a team last year that brought in aging talents and ones that we like. We really like James Conner. You know, they brought in Zach Ertz for a boatload of money, two top-end contracts at their positions. And it was almost like, uh, hey, we're putting all of our chips on the table for this one run the season. And now, Kyler might miss the early parts of next season. It sounds like DeAndre Hopkins is going to leave. And so what are you left with? 
declining aging players on big money and they have to have a big reset. And it makes sense when the head coach and GM are out the door. Yeah, this next year is going to be a complete teardown. Uh, they're going to try to get maybe a, a semi-big name here at, at head coach. But like you said, it's it's aging players. I think DeAndre Hopkins and Zach Ertz, there's a chance that both of them get traded. Uh, James Conner's not going anywhere contractually. Same thing with Kyler Murray. Uh, they're going to have to find the coach that wants to win with Kyler Murray on a big contract. Um, but this is another one of those teams where the ownership group, to me, is always just in, in the conversation. Yeah. And usually that's not for uh, good news. You can tell Mike Bidwell loves to be involved or like part of the conversation at all times. Buddy Buddy with Steve Kime, who had been in with that organization since 1999, probably trusted him to the level of keeping him in what was the ongoings of the team, who they're looking at, so on and so forth. And that gives you job security. Um, okay, so what do we want to see from them? I want to see them get Sean Payton, to be perfectly honest. And I think like yeah. this fits maybe what Sean Payton is looking for. Control. It's, it's total control because he can bring in whatever general manager he wants to. I mean, previously with the Saints, it was Sean Payton going out there for a bunch of press conferences and really behind the scenes, Sean Payton, the one making a bunch of these deals. Obviously, you have Jeff Ireland, so on and so forth, who pulled some strings. But Sean Payton is the face of the franchise. And you're not going to enter many situations this summer where the head coach and GM opening are wide open. And there's also been some circulations of what Sean Payton has said about Kyler Murray ahead of his draft. I also trust Sean or a different coach, even than Cliff Kingsbury to like build and cater to the strengths of what Kyler is, because there's some clear flaws of Kyler. Like he can't see the middle of the field, but at the same time, it almost felt like Cliff's offense became really predictable. When we got to the point where Deandre Hopkins was locked into the left side of the field, everything, it never felt like there was progression at any point offensively, despite the names that they've brought in. And so they need to bring in someone a la Sean Payton, who in order to understand his team's strengths and weaknesses can do that. And I would not expect Kyler Murray to be himself uh, his first year back. So I think next year will be a complete rebuild year, sell all your aging pieces. And Kyler's X factor is like his maneuverability inside the 10 and inside the 20 yard line. And if that is sapped from him just in this one year coming up and hopefully it comes back, that's a big, big absence for that team. Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, so this is one of the teams that completely uh, base-planted, and I think whoever was uh, in charge of bringing Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan in back-to-back off-seasons is the one to blame here. But interim coach Jeff Saturday was not going to be fixing this team. To me, the Colts were just way too conservative throughout the entire year, uh, 24th and 4th down aggressiveness, dead last in, in dot. They were used play action 30% or uh, the third lowest rate in the entire league, but the passing offense completely disappearing was not all that uh, much of a surprise. Matt Ryan was aging. We knew that going into the year, but to me, what was really crazy about the Colts season is how bad they were running the ball. And with their offensive line, they were 30th in EPA per carry. They were 28th in adjusted sack rate. I know that quarterback play comes into that, but we had some superstars on this offensive line that did not play that way. And it's hard to tell if that's coaching, if there's injuries, we don't know what they need to do there, but this offseason, you have to swing for the fences at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers in a trade. Go find a rookie quarterback. You got to do something. You can't stay this middle tier. I think you have to look outside the building at head coach. And then, meanwhile, you got to hope that this Colts defense doesn't start regressing. Uh, they were 12th in EPA per defense last year. I think they were previously a little bit higher than that. And meanwhile, this whole time while you're doing all this stuff, you better hope that the Jaguars don't just start winning AFC titles for the next five years with Trevor Lawrence. Matt Eberflus, when he departed this defense, left a defense that like led the NFL in turnovers that felt like for multiple seasons, and that's not sticky, uh, as we saw this year. And as you said, when Quentin Nelson, who at times is like the face of the offense, at least the offensive line, if he regresses, that means the entire team yeah. is, is going to regress. And it's just kind of weird, Chris Ballard, and maybe this goes into your next point, but like he was very self-evaluative at his post-season mm-hmm. press conference being like, man, we went all in with Carson Wentz because I felt like it was the right move and then it didn't work out. This is also a GM who in previous years when they had so much cap space and so much draft capital was like staying extremely patient. Kind of feels like he understands that maybe he wasn't aggressive enough in the right areas. 
And now he's going to be forced to this offseason with the number, what, five overall pick, four overall pick. Yep. Uh, yeah, to me, it's going to be how much does Jim Ursay have some say in this uh, head coach <laughs> and then also quarterback. I mean, we're dealing with a uh, an owner that went on full tilt about the Jeff uh, Saturday decision, especially after the win. One of the probably biggest parties of the entire year is after that overtime win. Uh, I, I don't know who's making the decisions. I'll put it that way. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it is the number four overall pick. And look, they have some players, you know, like DeForest Buckner is a player. Grover Stewart is a player. We talked about Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, Michael Pittman on the offensive end. Jonathan Taylor's about to come up with a big contract too. So I don't think that their draft position is indicative of the roster like it might be with, you know, at least the first two teams that we were talking about on this list. Uh, But bad teams stay bad because of ownership. And Jim Irsay is the luckiest owner of all time when you go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. And now when you're in a position where every other fan base, I guess, other than the Patriots, have had to deal with over the last 20 years where you really have to make good quality quarterback decisions, they've been lost over these last three years, basically. Yep. You have a good roster, but a bad quarterback doesn't matter. So number five is the... Seattle Seahawks in lieu of the Denver Broncos. Do we push Denver to the end or do we talk about them now? Uh, I, I can go either way. It's up to you. Go ahead. Denver right, Broncos Denver, number five, technically. Yeah, I think this is funny because you can go through all the negatives and then say, oh, also their number five pick is not even theirs. So obviously to me, the season was over in week two against the Houston Texans when their home crowd was chant- chanting down the play clock. Uh, and then after the game, uh, you had Hackett, you had their OC, you had Russ thanking the crowd for doing that. But even after that, it got worse. Uh, they ended up being 31st in injury luck. Uh, they had to fire uh, Hackett. Obviously, he was. they were 32nd in penalties. They were 29th in special teams DVOA. So it went beyond just the pass game. We all know how bad Russell Wilson was. Uh, really, really terrible uh, down the field. He was 30th in adjusted sack rate. All of that stuff. To me, when I was looking back at this, and what was kind of frustrating was uh, the ground game also was completely anemic. They were 20th mm. in EPA per carry. They were 31st in short yardage success rate. And you look back at the Javante Williams injury. I think that was a really big turning point to the season early on. He's coming back. He tore his ACL, his MCL, and I believe his PCL. That's all. That's a, all three of them. That's really bad. And they're going to have to make a big, big, big hire here at a head coach. There was two positives, though, that I'll give the Broncos. Number one, they were the number five EPA allowed defense. They have some real strong players in the secondary, perhaps maybe even the number one corner for the next three years that you would be taking in certain. Uh, and the other thing is this ownership group has Walmart cash. I'm <laughs> expecting Jim Harbaugh to come back and I'm expecting the defense to stay pretty good. Um, but really none of it's going to matter unless Russell Wilson performs better. And I'm not sure just based off of some of the athleticism and how right. lost he was this year that you're going to get that completely back. There's no getting out of his contract until at least next off season. I, I meant to talk about this during the Cardinals section, but everyone signed through 2027. That's much easier to stomach than it is giving a quarterback huge money that just flops on his face. Unfortunately, the Broncos have both of those, you know, and this is like the first big decisions that this ownership group has to make. And almost certainly universally you see across the league, When a team hires a first-time head coach, their next hire after that one flops, and almost none as spectacularly as Nathaniel Hackett, you go and get a proven head coach who has coached in the league previously, right? Yep. Harbaugh's name has been thrown out there. I highly doubt Sean Payton will take that job. I think there's another one that had Dan Quinn, who was part of that discussion last year. I think all of those make a, a ton of sense, but I'm with you. Like, we have seen coaches go in and out of the door during Russell Wilson's time in Seattle, play callers, I mean, and the offense stays the offense, right? So I don't think there is a way to change, especially at age, what, 34 Russell Wilson versus 31 Russell Wilson of uh, reinvigorating that out of structure, extended play, let Russ cook aspect to his game. Because I, I really think other than week 18, it's kind of evaporated out of it. Yeah. I agree. I, I would not try to push the eggs back into this basket again. I would players like Cortland Sutton to me have, have a tradable contract. I would be looking to get rid of them knowing that you're going to have to be taking this dead cap money from Russell Wilson. Eventually I would not go into this 
if I was owning the Broncos, assuming Russell Wilson's going to return, give him one more year because the contract basically forces that. See if Jerry Judy can c- continue developing. Jerry Judy, by the way, we didn't really talk about him that much in fantasy. He closed out the season with a bunch of huge numbers. So I'm kind of intrigued with, with Jerry Judy, but players like Greg Dolchich and Javante Williams, I'm very curious. That's a severe knee injury, more severe than I think that we kind of remembered because uh, it happened back in what, September, October. And the team did make a smart move, I think, in trading Bradley Chubb for a first-round pick. Now, that is 29 overall, but it shows you they might have some willingness to go in the direction that you are talking about. Six is actually the Detroit Lions. Now, we all know the Lions are so much better than the sixth overall pick. So let's, after talking so negatively, speak highly of what this Lions organization is. What we learned about them, again, drafting sixth overall, Brad Holmes knows how to build a roster and a team. You know, the Lions are going in the right direction. The positives, I think, are almost endless. Like you have a great offensive line that everything can be built off of that foundation. You have an awesome play caller for now in Ben Johnson, who gets the most out of his skilled talent at multiple levels. You hit on, again, Brad Holmes, general manager, Detroit Lions, Aiden Hutchinson this past draft, Josh Pascal in the second round, Kirby Joseph in the third round, James Houston. As a situational pass out of nowhere, out of out of Jackson State with Deion Sanders after transferring from Florida, eight sacks. You have two wide receivers and Amon Ross St. Brown, who specializes in what he does so well. And then Jamison Williams, who already looks like he's playing at one point seven five X out there on the field. This is a team, despite all those great young talents that I just spoke of with four picks in the top 60 that have also displayed that they know how to evaluate talent and draft them while moving and maneuvering around the draft board in order to get them love, love, love what Holmes and Dan Campbell are building and have already shown us in 2022. They'll be the favorites to win their division next year. And I think they'll be a very popular bet because this team's also, like you said, very well run all that stuff. This is also, the, I think, maybe the most uh, obvious team to root for. You know, like the Jamal Williams interviews, he's a free agent, but I can see them bringing him back. It's impossible to root against Dan Campbell. It's an aggressive team, but they're also smart and aggressive at the same exact time. They got these like meathead type of coaching staff, but they have all former modernized, players. all modernized the game. And they're sticking with the times. And it's really hard to not root for this team. Jared Goff, they can draft a quarterback here. Maybe they sprinkle in like an Anthony Richardson. I don't know if he's supposed to go in like the second round, get some athleticism at the quarterback position. But the Jared Goff contract is to me is very reasonable for the production that he has. Maybe they sprinkle in a development developmental guy, but they seem to really like him. And he was at least, I know it's because of the play action, the scheme and everything around him. He was at least putting up some pretty big numbers. So what do we want to see from the Detroit Lions? This is going to sound harsh, but I do not think Jared Goff is it. It goes back to what you just said. I don't think he is the type of quarterback that can progress with that young talent group, along with Panay Sewell, by the way, an unreal right tackle, absolute dog. Is Jared Goff the one to ride this window with them? I don't think so. He's not the one for the long playoff run. He can fool a lot of people at different points during the season. You know, but no quarterback in his career so far sees a steeper drop off from clean to pressured than Jared Goff, right? And check his home and road splits this year. They are drastic, right? I'm saying that Jared Goff is a starting quarterback in this league, but this team is almost too good for him, I think, at this moment, right? And so this is your window to win with all these players on rookie deals. And with this talent, how often do we see a team this talented picking in the top six? Be aggressive, take your shot, and go go and get one of these top two, top three quarterbacks because this is your time to do it. Because, again, I keep going back to it. With this talent group that they have, when are we ever going to see them picking the top ten again? It would be shocking to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so you'd say rookie is not a veteran type. Right, because like, Derek Carr is not a, a massive upgrade. But Jared, Jared Goff, Goff plus stuff. a rookie contract is totally yeah. usable and totally right. viable in this grouping. You know, yeah. To me, I would take a shot like on Will uh, Levis or whatever his name is, Anthony Richardson. Some of these players that aren't aren't might not have to. You might not have to trade up for these types, but they still have massive amount of upside. So I, I I'm with you. I do think that this team can win some serious, meaningful games next year yes. with Jared Goff. Um, but I do think like odds to win the actual Super Bowl, it might have to be from somebody else. And look, I I understand that draft success can be variable. Like we saw it with Seattle and how they started their window by hitting on a lot of these third, fourth, six rounders, right? 
Lions kind of feel the exact same way. But I think mm-hmm. what Brad and Dan, since we're on a first name basis with those guys, uh, understand is, hey, if we load up with these early picks and just load up entirely with a bunch of picks, they've exhibited already the, the right ways to hit on draft classes repeatedly. And that's yeah. awesome to see. I agree. Las Vegas Raiders are picking number seven overall. So this is a team that misevaluated their roster. Um, they trade for Devontae Adams. I think that was a good move. You're just evaluating him himself. He was still an all-pro type of player, 1,500 yards. They had a, also an all-pro uh, running back uh, in the fantasy MVP in Josh Jacobs. They have Max Crosby, who to me is like a fringe all-pro talent himself. But the rest of the offense and the rest of the defense wasn't good. They were still 29th in EPA allowed on defense. They had completely lacked some consistency. They were 30th in penalties. They were 26th in red zone touchdown rate. They were 25th in turnover rate. So who's to blame here? I think you can kind of put it into a couple couple different baskets. Number one, the defense was never good enough. Uh, You can easily scream that they were 4-9 and in their one-score games. That's just bad luck. To me, it goes beyond that. The defense just doesn't have enough talent in the secondary. Uh, Derek Carr did not play as well this year as he did last year. Some of these downfield throws were going incomplete uh, that he was running on a hot streak the year prior. And then Josh McDaniels, I think he's too conservative. They didn't use as much play action as you would think. To me, there was times where they would run the ball too much. Everything seemed a little bit too Hmm. slow paced for how good you have Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams throwing Darren Waller. Uh, You would think that you would be able to have one of these elite offenses. They never did that. So we know that going forward, those two are not going to be reunited. Derek Carr, possibly tradable contract. If not, they can release him. Uh, There's not any guaranteed money left on his deal. So really just comes down to moving forward. McDaniels plus which quarterback. And in the meantime, could they finally get any sort of defense? The wheels on the Derek Carr situation started rolling today. Both the team and he announced it basically. Uh, It just felt like Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels just didn't mesh at all. And like, it might not be the easiest offense for every quarterback to understand and grasp. And while, you know, he wasn't vanilla soft serve in 2021, Derek Carr was great two years ago and was Mm. extremely aggressive throwing down the field. Uh, This year just felt like he wasn't taking absolutely everything that was open for him. Devontae Adams is still Devontae Adams too. And hopefully to me, what's next for them is he's happy because when he is happy, He's the number one wide receiver, arguably still in the NFL, but a huge reason, obviously going to this team was for Derek Carr. He's saying it. He wanted to play for the Raiders no matter what growing up on that mm-hmm. side of the country, so on and so forth. But, uh, part of my brain thinks he will be very happy if, uh, Tom Brady heads in that direction too. To me, it's Jimmy G, Tom Brady. Those are the two names I'm linking there, but those two quarterbacks aren't going to solve the defense and no. they're paying Devontae Adams a, a lot of money. Uh, rightfully so, but um, I think they just, re, they just misevaluated what this roster was. It's not a good roster. They're superstars. Josh Jacobs probably going to get franchise tag. They can't trade Devontae Adams. His contract's not tradable. Hey, Chandler they, Jones a ton. It's literally just replacing the quarterback, but I don't think that Jimmy G or Tom Brady is like some massive upgrade over Derek Carr um, at this point, and it's not enough to get this team back in the playoffs with that, with that defense. Atlanta Falcons are picking eighth overall. What did we learn from 2022? Well, we learned that Arthur Smith will change an offense when trying to cater to the strengths of his quarterback. Let's take 2021, for example, with Matt Ryan. Uh, that offense, that passing game was very different than Marcus Mariota's run and pass it deep, run and shoot offense. And then that was even different than Desmond Ritter and the small package of games we saw from him, where I believe his deep passing rate was 10% lower than Marcus Mariota's. Um so at least like on one hand, we know that Arthur Smith is malleable to his talent, but what we want to see is they need to find the personnel to run an offense that actually features their good players. <laughs> you know, like you can Please. cater, you can cater your team to bad quarterbacks as much as you want over the past two years. But if you're not accentuating Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Chris Lindstrom, now Tyler Algier, like you should, then what are you even doing? Changing things, you know? This is the time to do it. They had a chance to do it last year. They did not. And so find the personnel to maximize the likes of Pitts and Mund. Yeah, they took their medicine this last year because the last offseason, there was some quarterbacks available, but they didn't have that much money because they had to take on a lot of Matt Ryan's deal. This year, when they released Marcus Mariota, 
their cap space is going to go up to almost $83 million. They can get any quarterback that's on the market. Uh, Ryan Tannehill obviously makes a lot of sense if they want to go trade for him to link up with Arthur Smith again. I think that he would run this offense fairly well. But beyond just getting Kyle Pitts and Drake London to be, what, 1,200-yard players, I think both of them could do that. Uh, they got to find some pass rush at the same time. This, I mean, well, the defense is devoid. It's just completely nothing. So I, I believe Arthur Smith is a good play caller. He got the most out of a lot of uh, like, like the Tyler Algier types, but Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter were just frankly not good enough. So to me, swing big. This is the time with the entire NFC South up for grabs. Go find Ryan Tannehill and you're going to be the favorite to win this division. Love Grady Jarrett. Don't want to come off across like I don't, but he's 29 now. AJ Terrell is a season removed, but after being like everyone's favorite unsung hero at cornerback, this year was a down year. Mm-hmm. But other than that, at defense, they've got no one, right? Um, and then what we just spoke about with the quarterback, if they don't land one this offseason, that means there's three straight years of basically doing nothing. Right. And how many head coaches and general managers have three years when you put nothing out there on the table? So like this is your time to do it or else you're probably out of there. Both Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. All right, number nine overall pick, Carolina Panthers. What did we learn? Well, there's finally enough talent along their offensive line that like a foundation can be built off of. Icky Kwanu progressed really well as the season went along. Part of that is because of the run focus. Taylor Moten, I think, is still a top 10 right tackle in the league. On the final week, they did lose Austin Corbett and Brady Christensen among the interior of their guards. And then Bradley Bozeman is a free agent center. But... Maybe by week two, week three of next season, you have all four, heck, maybe even all five of those pieces back. And we know how important offensive line continuity is in terms of success for an entire season and season over season. Um, And just quickly, Steve Wilkes is just so much of a better coach than Matt Rule was. Yeah, the Matt Rule stuff looks really bad in hindsight. It's how much better the team looked. I just got to ask you, put simply, Josh Norris, you are making the decisions for the Panthers. Who is your head coach? Who is your quarterback? Well, what do we want to see? I mean, one, almost certainly David Tepper, and we were saying this for weeks, is going to look towards an offensive mind. I think he believes that the easiest way to consistently win offensively is if your head coach is also the play caller because you can go and hire a great defensive coach. We see them across the league. Sean McDermott's an example, right? But then your play caller can get taken away from you. And you know me watching these offenses. I fall in love with Ben Johnson and like what he's done and how he changes things week to week and how he connects everything. That's probably the direction I go. And I've never even spoken to Ben Johnson, right? But just from a creating an offensive philosophy and chaining plays and series together, to me, he has stood out this season. And then they do have to take a swing at quarterback because they were in this position just a couple of years ago at number eight overall. And instead of taking Justin Fields or Mac Jones, they took J.C. Horn. You know, they have tried to trade for Matthew Stafford. They, you know, tried to trade for Deshaun Watson. They certainly were wanting to get on the Aaron Rodgers situation. But now you have to move hell or high water to propel the franchise forward. And the only way to do that is to land a quarterback this offseason or else it's another offseason of Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. And who's the next one of that group? I think that they're going to be like the Derek Carr kind of mix. That's or like Ellis Williams, the writer, mentioned Derek Carr as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to either go trade up for the Bears and make a really aggressive franchise-altering move, or do you go the easy route, get somebody like Derek Carr? We'll see. I think both both options, I think that they would be in the mix to win the division next year. Yeah. And DJ Moore is still DJ Moore. We would love, you know, a 1,400-yard season, though, from... Mm-hmm. Not, not tradable, by the way. I, everyone keeps saying trade for DJ Moore, not tradable contract. And I believe uh, Deontay Foreman is also a free agent. It was pretty cool to see, like, the offense totally change their identity to after trading away Chris McCaffrey and still putting out usable offenses yeah. on the field. Too bad five yeah. yards per carry. I know. It's a pretty tough thing for them to do in previous years when CMC went down. Tenth uh, overall pick is the Philadelphia Eagles in way of the New Orleans Saints. Let's push them to the end, though. Let's push New Orleans to yeah. the end and going over to you with the 11th overall selection and the Tennessee Titans. To me, there was a very clear turning point with this franchise, and it was when A.J. Brown put up eight for 119 and two, and Traylon Burks that game had one for 25 and a touchdown and a 35-10 to 10 road win for the Eagles. Do you want to hear from uh, 
Let's see what Vrabel thought about that. What Mike Vrabel thought of that situation? Here it is. I was thinking about AJ. AJ had a good game. Um, you know, we can't give up big plays on on defense. You know, we, we tried to make them earn it coming into the game. You know, we clearly weren't able to. That's something. That's how you get fired as a GM when your coach is looking that upset. And so, yeah, they move on from the GM. Uh, this team had the worst injury luck in the NFL, according to games missed. Um, and their defense was particularly hit hard in the secondary, uh, typically a very good defense. They were 28th in passing EPA allowed their linebacker play. Their defensive tackle play was still very good. Uh, they were first in rushing EPA allowed. But none of that really matters. You have to get this offense figured out. Their offensive line is losing, like not even exaggeration, basically oh. everybody. And to me, this is the turning point where you have to look in the mirror if you're Coach Rabel and say, hey, we got to rebuild for one year. Give me a crack at it. I'm going to find a new GM. Both Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry are tradable. That would be completely crushing this offense. But to me, this is the year to take your medicine if you're the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Jaguars will get better next year with Calvin Ridley. Uh, this offensive line was 29th in adjusted sack rate. I don't see that improving all that much uh, because really just this offense is completely tanked. They were going all in, rightfully so, when the Titans yeah. were hot for a little bit. But at some point, you have to take your medicine. And to me, that A.J. Brown was uh, the trade. And then A.J. Brown dunking on them twice in that game was the turning point. Hey, we've lost this. The GM's out of here. Give me one year to rebuild, and we'll reevaluate in 2024. And Mike Vrabel's a great coach. Like, they battle for him. They try oh, yeah. really hard. And he's done such a great job if you just focus in on what he knows so well with that defensive line and linebacker group. They are tenacious, you know? But it's a complete reset offensively. Probably Derrick Henry is not going anywhere. I know the contract can be moved and they should trade him, in my opinion. That would be even more of an identity change. But I'm even speaking from in two off seasons, it's almost the Julio Jones and Matt Ryan in Atlanta. It's about to be AJ Brown and Ryan Tanhill gone in Tennessee, plus a bunch of offensive linemen. Plus, there are still some questions on like the week to week consistency of what Traylon Burks is going to be. And someone's going to have to fit Chigo Quanquo in there on every single snap. And it's rough. And a bunch of their great young defensive pieces, like Danico Autry, who's not young, but uh, David Long at linebacker, um, they're all free agents too, you know? And Jeffrey Simmons is going to get a big contract. So they're, they are talented. They have a very good coach. But this is going to be the biggest reclamation project I can remember for Mike Vrabel during his time with the Titans. I'm curious how he's going to handle it because obviously he always wants to win right now, but I think he's going to have more control than he ever has had with the personnel. Obviously, he wouldn't have traded A.J. Brown, so he didn't have all of the final say with the GM decisions going into this last offseason. I'd be pretty surprised if he was not the lead guy making all the decisions. This is his team. He's the face of the franchise, uh, and th that can even be more so if Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry do get traded. Cleveland Browns were picking at number 12. That is now the Houston Texans selection, but let's talk about the Browns here. Yeah, so they were four and seven when Deshaun Watson took over, but that was not because of the offense, really. Um, it was the defense. The defense was the problem for, for the Browns for a while. They were dead last in rushing EPA allowed. They were somehow only 16th in adjusted sack rate on defense. Just, they have Miles Garrett, and they are an average uh, defense rushing the passer, so they got to get rid of uh, Joe Woods. Of course, he's gone. And then beyond that, you have to figure out what you have in a $230 million guaranteed quarterback. When he took over, uh, Jacoby Brissett was 11th in EPA per dropback. When Deshaun Watson comes in, he's 31st out of 37 in that same metric. It's the same offense. Amari Cooper was out there. David Njoku had a little bit of a breakout season here. He was out there. PFF had this offensive line number six overall. But Deshaun looked like his eyes were just wandering. He never looked comfortable. He still has some of the athleticism. I see that on some throws. I see them scrambling outside the pocket. But to me, he was scrambling outside the pocket way too much. So Kevin's fancy going to get one more year to get him back under control. They can't get rid of Deshaun Watson. All that money's locked up. But they're going to have to figure out what they have in the past game. I do like David Njoku. Nick Chubb, by the way, that's his fifth straight uh, season with at least five yards per carry. Uh, pretty insane stuff, but really you got to get the defense back on track and you got to get 
Deshaun Watson back on track. I think that's going to be the hardest thing that Kevin Stefanski is going to have to do because this thing might just be beyond the X's and O's. I almost think it's an organizational shift that they're going to have to do where for so long they've built through the offensive line and investing in running backs. And now just naturally when you trade and invest so much draft picks and money into the quarterback, it's going to become a pass first offense. And it felt like there were tons of stumbling blocks once that took over. Uh, this is going to be the second offseason with Deshaun Watson, the second training camp with Deshaun Watson. And they have to be comfortable from week one in order to do that. And I think Amari Cooper is on a great deal when you look across the league at those wide receiver situations. Donovan Peoples-Jones might be a nice wide receiver three on a team. David Njoku is one of our favorite young players at the position. But I think it's almost a comfort in changing that identity more so than it is finding new pieces. And I think that starts and ends with the play caller and quarterback connection because it did not look right at the end of the year. Yeah, to me, the pieces around Deshaun are good enough to win. Uh, I do think because they're paying him so much money, and obviously Miles Garrett deserves so much of the money, the rest of the defense I think is going to look really bad. It's going to be Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. I don't think that they have the draft capital or the salary cap to address that. So Deshaun yeah. Watson, they have to play at a near MVP level because I think that the Browns this next couple of years, it's going to be really high-scoring games on both sides of the ball. New York Jets are picking 13th overall. Yeah, so this was another one where it was the defense was rolling. Uh, they got Sauce Gardner. That's a win. Their defense was seventh in EPA, but a good defense does not mask an anemic offense. And Zach Wilson, negative EPA. Joe Flacco, negative EPA. Mike White, even negative EPA. The good okay. news is all those names are not going to matter moving forward. They're going to find a new quarterback. They're going to find a new offensive coordinator. I do not think this was the offensive coordinator's fault. I think that you could probably make a good argument that this will be a downgrade at the play caller, but both the quarterback and the new play caller, they're going to have to get two things going again. Elijah Moore, we saw the rookie season, was completely disgruntled, was not getting the ball, and the second thing was the ground game. This this past year, the Jets were 24th in, in rushing EPA. Uh, before that, they were one of the most electrifying but run, def or run don't, offenses. Don't you think that's because the Brees Hall injury? Like, they were electric with him, and a lot of that right. was big plays and manufactured stuff that Mike LaFour was going, but I'm yep. with you. As soon as that went away, along with a bunch of offensive line injuries, I mean, yes. so many, then that all tanked, and it felt like yep. the offense crumbled after that, too. So it was a negative. It was like you can just point to the passing offense and say this was a complete joke, and rightfully so. The good news is, to me, it's very fixable because I think both – the quarterback landing spot and the offensive coordinator landing spot are both very uh, intriguing vacancies. And they have I some flexibility. Really? So this is my concern. It is almost a directive from the owners, Woody Johnson back in the fold, where if they don't make the playoffs next year, mm -hmm. then everyone's gone, you know? Right. So a play caller has to come in and understand that I have one year and if this year doesn't go right, then I'm back searching for a job. Yep. Now, obviously, someone's going to fill up. There are only 32 play callers across the league, and there's some really good individual talents, as you said, with Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. Hopefully, Brees Hall comes back really nicely. AVT is a great young offensive lineman. But I'm not going to call Mike LaFour a scapegoat, per se, but he did some really cool stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think Jets fans might witness what a – lot of other teams do where the grass isn't always greener because a lot of that pony personnel stuff that we talked about a lot this year showed the creativity and success that he did that in a week in and week out basis. Sure. He had some red zone mismanagement, but in the first half of the season, when your hand is tied behind your back, where you can't trust your quarterback to throw in neutral situations, mm -hmm. what you're going to do, right? You know, but to me that like, you can be, Hey, I'm going to be the savior here. The defense yeah. I know is going to be good. But they, all those pieces are primarily coming back. The defense he, isn't as sticky as we like for it to be. I completely agree, but I trust Sala. Plus they have enough talent out there that they're going to be top 10. Uh, and then you're going to go from 29th and passing EPA. And all of a sudden you can be a top 15 uh, offense. You have Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall. I, I expect him to be back. He's ahead of schedule. That injury happened early on the injuries that we're saying on the offensive line. I, I think that really mattered. And they still have some money that they, even when they uh, cut Corey Davis, they can go find somebody. They still have this 13th overall pick. To me, this is going to be a team that I think is going to be a very obvious, like wild card team in 2023 mm -hmm. predictions. Um, and I think that's because they're going to get like Jimmy G, Derek Carr, one of those types of quarterbacks. And I think that those types of quarterbacks are good enough because the surrounding roster to me is very good. 
It's interesting. We heard more about Quinn Williams and Sheldon Rankins than we did of the Carl Lawson's, Jermaine Johnson's, Bryce Hall's mm -hmm. of the world along the pass rushers. All right. New England Patriots sit there at pick number 14, Hayden. Even the greatest coach of all time can't overcome putting a defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator and a special teams coach uh, as the quarterback's coach. And really, the entire offense struggled. It wasn't just Mac Jones. Obviously, he gets a lot of the blame here. But the New England, they were 27th in short yardage rushing. Uh, they were 25, uh, 25th in adjusted sack rate. They were dead last in fourth down aggressiveness. This was a completely conservative offense. They were 28th in play action rate. So you'd think that they would be able to run the ball and use play action. That wasn't the case. So they were really leaving Mac Jones out to dry. And I don't think that I like Mac Jones to a certain degree. He's not going to completely elevate all these players, especially this pass catcher group. I thought it was a bottom five unit. Oh yeah. And they're going to be completely erased. Tyquan Thornton's back, but basically everybody else is either a free agent or a cut candidate. I smell a little bit of a DeAndre Hopkins trade in the mix here. I think they're going to make a big splash at wide receiver. They pretty much have to. This 14th overall pick would be very nice to me if they can get another wide receiver here. And then obviously you're going to completely overhaul uh, uh, the coaching staff. It sounds like they're going to quote use these words rearrangement, reassignment, move these coaches back to where they belong on defense and special teams, bring in a Bill O'Brien, name the offensive coordinator, and hopefully that's enough to get Mac Jones back on track. Yeah, Mac Jones extremely regressed. during Against pressure, he would just flop to the floor, uh, but it just felt like from week one, the quick game versus the deep game just weren't on the same page at all. And the way that Matt Patricia called play action for Bailey Zappi when he was out there and just refused to call it for Mac Jones and then did towards the end. It's just awful, awful all around. Yeah. A positive, I think we've seen that Ramondre Stevenson is a supersized version of Alvin Kamara a little bit. And with Damien Harris as a free agent, I think Ramondre Stevenson, it depends on if they trust Kevin Harris, if they trust Pierre Strong next year. But as we lean into it, they seem perfectly content with giving Ramondre Stevenson a massive workload. And I'm extremely curious of where he might be going in early best ball drafts come next year. Well, now that you say it, I'm a sicko. I have 2023 fantasy rankings. I have Ramondre inside my top 24 somewhere in that yeah. spot. One last thing real quick, uh, dead last special teams. That's Bill Belichick special teams units are never that bad. But what's so crazy is all this negativity around Bill Belichick. He still has got it defensively. New England second in EPA allowed first and passing EPA allowed fifth and adjusted sack rate. Matthew Judon, was by far their MVP. Uh, Bill Belichick is going to have that defense rock and roll no matter what. Uh, they just have to get Mac Jones more comfortable and putting Patricia back on defense probably is the answer to that. Green Bay Packers are picking 15th after losing in week 18. I think what we learned is that defense isn't played on paper. And we keep talking about how, you know, we expect this defense to be good again next year, but offenses are stickier than defenses week to week or year to year, I should say, because injuries happen, turnovers are inconsistent, so on and so forth. And I think the Packers are probably the number one example of that this year where we went into it thinking, oh man, it's Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, Jair Alexander, so on and so forth, Devondre Campbell. This might be a top three defense in the league. And it felt like for the majority of it, they were a bottom three right. unit. Now, they did get better towards the end of the year, but that really stood out to me was, um, you know, defensive play callers really matter. Now, what we're looking ahead to and what we want to see this offseason, I can't tell if I want Aaron Rodgers and this decision to be made quickly or if I want it to be laid for, to be delayed for multiple months. Please, no. That's true sicko stuff. No. But I almost want to, like, live in the chaos a little bit. Uh, what's your early read on that? Well, his contract is tradable. And as a side note, Aaron Jones, I think that he's either going to have to restructure his contract or be released. So to me, there's a turning point on the offense. I agree. The defense still has some pieces, but they've never lived up to expectations. They can't stop the run ever. It doesn't matter. Like, who's the defense coordinator? I don't know what's going on with that. But to me, it's a big turning point. I think this is the last year in Jordan uh, Love's contract. Are they going to trade Aaron Rodgers? Is Aaron Rodgers going to retire? I think right now, I think it's, maybe more likely than not than Aaron Rodgers is not their quarterback next year. I think it's probably close to somewhere around 50, 50, but the contract is tradable. And I think that there is reason to kind of say, all right, we went all in on Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of years. It just didn't work out to what we were expecting, but we got to see what we have in AJ Dillon and Jordan love and Christian Watson, get these young players back and kind of clear out some of our cap space uh, to build for the future. To me, uh, it really just starts with the Aaron Rodgers 
uh, decision. And right now, I think I'm leaning towards the Packers offense looking completely different uh, going into 2023. They have two of the most versatile offensive linemen in the league in Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom. Shout out to the list for all of you OGs that know. We'll do a video on that this summer. And then I love the usage for Christian Watson. It changed their entire season, I felt like. I mean, get him out in space. Let him be explosive. Wins contested as well. Even if he takes the next step in his mm-hmm. play and his route running, that would be incredible. And he did that a little bit with his releases this season. But I'm going to keep going back to the Matt Harmon's connection and comparison that he made to our current version of Martavis Bryant for Christian Watson. That's a fun, fun playmaker to watch. Washington Commanders, 16 overall. What did we learn? Scott Turner's a scapegoat to me. Yes. Scott Turner's a scapegoat after being forced to roll into a season with Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke as his quarterbacks and Taylor Heineke for the second straight season. You know, look, I'm not saying Scott Turner's a perfect play caller. And in fact, go and read a great piece by Mark Bullock on his Substack, who does a great job covering the commanders. And his biggest issue is what Ben Johnson previously does well, which is connecting everything together. But when you look at the investments in running back and wide receiver, I felt like Scott probably did their best available outcomes of utilizing the dynamics of Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel together. And then with the Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson plus JD McKissick situation that they have there. Um, Just sucks when you have either a quarterback who has cement in his feet in the pocket and takes sacks and turns the football over or a quarterback who thinks he is Josh Allen when the play breaks down in Taylor Heineke and doesn't have the arm to convert that. So I think Scott will find a gig somewhere else quickly. Um, But that's what I picked up from here. And it's, it's a weird move from Ron Rivera when the defensive coordinator has been skeptical over the last two years. Yet here we are with the Scott Turner decision. Somebody had to roll out here from Ron Rivera's side. Uh, obviously, the ownership might change this offseason, too. Um, so yes. I'm I'm kind of confused. Who's even calling the shots? Who's making the Ron. decisions on all this stuff? Right now, it's Ron Rivera, but uh, I don't think that's here to say. And yeah, I agree. Scott Turner, uh, these aren't like the end-all, be-all stats, but top 12 in screen rate, RPO rate, play action rate, pre-snap motion rate. You use shotgun a ton. A lot of the metrics that we're looking for and what kind of a modern offense looks like, he was doing that. Curtis Samuel had big weeks. We had John Dotson, their rookie, have big weeks. Obviously, Terry McLaurin did. Ryan Robinson, I don't think is like the perfect player, but they got the most out of him. So um, it just all comes down to quarterback. I think they're, they could be in the Derek Carr kind of sweepstakes here, uh, but the defense has enough I feel like you mentioned Derek Carr with three or four teams. I know, but probably with three or four teams. I, I agree. They're going to be battling for these type of guys, but uh, Jacoby Brissett would be another option. We're going to split them into that. thirds and hand them out yeah. to everyone. Be like, Ryan hey, this Tannehill. is still an improvement off of Taylor but, Heineke. But it is because Taylor Heineke to me is like not an NFL starter by, by any means. <laughs> we we had to we had to play this game that he's a fun quarterback. He's not. And they probably should have played Sam Howell a bit longer and figured out what they had. At least like with the yes. Desmond Ritter situation, that's what they did in Atlanta. Quickly, Deron Payne is going to get paid this offseason by someone. And this commander's team has invested so much into their defensive line over the years. Think of John Allen, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Deron Payne. You can throw in a couple more names in there, Mm -hmm. and now they're going to lose one of those, and that still hasn't really carried you to absolutely anything. Yeah. You know? So that that shows you once – because it's really been two key areas they've invested a ton in, wide receivers and defensive line, and here we are. Yep. At 17 overall, it's your Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I'm kind of looking like a Kenny Did he pick it today. Here, right? I literally was about to say the same thing. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm turning into the guy. But to me, this season was all about Mike Tomlin. He's 16 to no and avoiding a losing season. He did that this year, despite the Steelers being 25th in point differential. They had the eighth worst injury luck this year. And Kenny Pickett was completely uh, lacked a ceiling in this offense. It's kind of a chicken or the egg situation to me. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. The Matt Canada offense was all dink and dunk and just go ball to George Pickens on the sideline. They were 29th in in play action rate. They were 25th in neutral uh, pass rate. None of the stuff that we're really looking like in kind of just a structure of an offense. Is that because Kenny Pickett's not going to wow you physically? Um, Or is it because Matt Canada is not the guy? Uh, Still TBD with that. To me, the the strengths you got to lean it into with Kenny Pickett, he's mobile. And to me, he's accurate. I think that's a good foundation. You have young talent. We both like Pat Fryermuth. Uh, George Pickens is good. Najee Harris came on at the last part of the season. But to me, it all comes down to who's calling plays here. And can you get this offensive line 
figured out. They could not run the ball effectively early on. Uh, Kenny Pickett to me was always uh, uh, not taking traditional dropbacks. Maybe that's because the offensive line here. And then meanwhile, you got to get this thing all right on offense before the defense kind of tanks. They were 24th in passing EPA because TJ Watt and some other key players missed some time. Uh, defense isn't sticking. This team has been very defense focused. Enough already with the win with defense in Pittsburgh. We got to get a real play caller in there. Los Angeles Rams should be picking sixth overall, but they do not have their first selection until 2029. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> let, me, let me actually find it so we don't give off wrong information. 37 overall, which isn't, isn't so bad. And they have their first overall or first round pick next year, by the way. Yeah. And what did we learn? Well, we learned how fragile rosters are, you know? F them picks helps you win a title. You know, it gives you Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, Von Miller, superstars that take you over the top, but it can destroy your depth. And even with that said, it might've been worth it in the end. Like is one Super Bowl, you know, worth struggling for the next one to two to three to five years and potentially also losing your head coach. Uh, Also, Allen Robinson really struggled like immediately from the jump. And that's not a contract they can get out of here either. So what do we want to see? Well, the coach has to figure out what he wants to do since we're limbo at the moment where he's telling his entire staff, like, Hey man, you can look elsewhere. Sean Payton reminder. That's, I think that's kind of similar situation. Correct. His quote was coaching is not over, but I don't know what I'm doing immediately. Basically. Uh, at the same time, we kind of heard this rumors with him during Super Bowl week. Aaron Donald was the same thing. Both got a little bump in their pay. And on top of all that, Matthew Stafford is coming back regardless. He's also stated. So I think there's two ways of looking at the Sean McVay situation. You take a year off, you get paid a bunch of money by television. Maybe you can pick a situation you prefer after a break. And then the Rams will get draft compensation because of that. Um, The other part is he comes back. And to me, the number one things they have to fix is their offensive line. They don't have picks really to do it. They don't have that much money to do it, but it really showed that, Again, going all in at certain positions cripples your depth. And as soon as what they've had in great injury luck over the past five years, it feels like, and then Andrew Whitworth retiring, as soon as one domino fell, three dominoes fell, seven dominoes fell along the offensive line, and they could get nothing going there. Yeah, and Matthew Stafford said he's coming back, but he's coming back off of neck surgery. And I've read some other doctors about it. It's a very serious, potentially career-threatening injury, especially if it re-aggravates here. Um, so I wouldn't be banking on him. Yeah. For, for me, the Sean McVay stuff is I know he tires himself out cause he works so damn hard. It's been worth it to date, but this team, I don't think is ready to compete this next year. Even if Stafford and Aaron Donald come back, cause they've lost so much, uh, depth everywhere. They just don't have the assets. So maybe Sean McVay says, you know what? Somebody else can come in here and then I'll come return the next year or two years from now. Once, uh, we get the cap situation, the trade or the draft picks back here. Um, I wouldn't blame him for that. He, he I think he deserved a little bit of some time off here. This is definitely a similar situation to the Sean Payton stuff. And uh, Jordan Rodriguez points out our buddy that they're going to change the coaching staff no matter what. And in fact, I think Liam Cohen already went back to Kentucky after just being with the Rams for one season, which is I think an interesting dynamic that you can read between the tea leaves on. We'll close out with the New Orleans saints who should be picking 10th overall, but I think because of the Chris Olave trade, they're not picking here, but What do we learn from them? Their mentality, despite losing Drew Brees and bringing back Jameis Winston to go along with Andy Dalton, they felt that they were much closer competing than the rest of the football universe expected of them. Remember those Nick Underhill uh, (laughs) reports saying like, oh man, they're going to compete this year. As you just said, they were very wrong in that. Uh, They went all in on that Drew Brees contract, all in the Michael Thomas contract, the Marcus Davenport future picks, the Chris Olave future pick, Trevor Penning. Uh, who now have Liz Frank surgery, I believe. Um, some have worked, some have not. I think many of them push Sean Payton away in the end. So what do we want to see about them moving forward? Well, they have picks 41 and 72. They're still kicking the can down and down and down the years in terms of contracts. I freaking don't know where they go because the Alvin Kamara situation seems up in the air. Michael Thomas certainly seems like he's not going to be back. And what you're going to start next year with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston again. No, it's a total reset over for a team that probably misprojected where they could be and competitive in 2022. 
Yeah, they're, they're going to get uh, back under the cap, but it's going to be a pain in the ass to do it, and they're going to be sacrificing money in the future. And Jameis Winston, they can't get out of his contract. I think there's a legit chance that Jameis Winston is going to be in the mix against like someone like Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold. I think that's going to be the situation they're going to be in at quarterback. Uh, and the rest of the roster is not uh, – it's fine, but they're all very old. I don't see how this thing is going to get any better. It's Chris Olave's I, – I do – I will say, I mean, he has a chance to be a superstar. Because he really could ascend into top oh, yeah. 10 conversation at wide receiver status next year. Yep. And he's going to have nobody's throwing to him. Now, yep. they still do have a bunch of their offensive linemen. And we've seen, even with Andy Dalton at quarterback, when he is protected, Alave is just such a gem on third downs or deeper down the field that that connection can work. So at least you have a, a pocket to operate from. But I would be shocked if they are a competitive team next season. They could be one of the worst teams next season. I agree. Uh, by the way, Alvin Kamara, he's probably going to be suspended four-ish games for that incident in Vegas. Also, uh, there are some ways that they can get out of his contract. Um, they got pretty creative with getting Michael Thomas out of that contract. Something similar could happen with Alvin Kamara. I don't think he's a lock to be on this team. It's going to be Chris Olave. Just weird stuff with Jarvis Landry in, Honey Badger in. Like They just miscalculated the entire thing. Yep. I agree. They will get a draft pick though this offseason for Sean Payton. So maybe, right. maybe if the Cowboys lose, that's if the Cowboys lose, just get rid of everybody. Maybe. All right. That's going to do it for us. I want to remind all of you tomorrow, a new episode of Scheme is going to come out. We've already done one on Bryce Young. His conversation, his name was prevalent here today. Tomorrow's on CJ Stroud against that loaded Georgia defense. Some really good notes from. Josh McCown might have made a comparison to Mo Juro to CJ Stroud. Hmm? Bo Juro. I don't know. You lost me here. The a name that room. Oh, it's Joe Burrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. So you might want to tune into that episode of scheme with uh, CJ Stroud against Georgia's defense. For everyone for tuning in, we appreciate you. Always share the show, share the channel with a friend up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya.